All right. Well, I think I'm going to put the finishing touches on, the pre on, on my presentation here. Um, do you sense the Holy Spirit here? Does everybody understand that the Holy Spirit can actually be felt? Why don't we have a seat? He's a real person. I didn't know that for a time. Remember my mother-in-law said, oh, the, it was anointed. And I thought that just meant she liked it. <laughs> you know? And then one day, <laughs> what I didn't know could happen, happened. And it changed my trajectory forever. That same Holy Spirit is right here. Would you just join with me and let's just invite him? Holy Spirit, you know you're welcome here. But we want more of you. Please come. Come like you did. Come like you've done. Come like you will come. More and more. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Oh Lord, I am weak, but you're strong. May every word be uttered here be from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I have to have the presentation to begin. It worked great last night. Well, that's part of my presentation. I've been getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. It's a great idea, Paul. Paul asked me to introduce myself. Um, I, um, I do want to mention something to you, and I'll get into the presentation. I'm an Alabama state senator right now. And I just completed a run for governor. And there's a lot of people in this room that helped me in that run. Everything from knocking on the door. Stephen Simpson drove me around. I rode on the running boards. And, and uh, Keith and Patricia knocked on doors. And my son, uh, Will, over here was a tremendous help. And uh, my sister, Hemi, came down. Garrett's wife. I adore her. Um, Anybody knows her, adores her. And, I, I pre and people sent money. Some of you sent money. And I know a lot of you prayed. And a lot of you liked on Facebook. Um, Chris Hyatt was a big liker. <laughs> and, uh, and helped me in other ways as well. And it's, um, it's really remarkable, uh, the whole process. But I want to thank each of you for doing that. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, Billy Graham said that the hardest thing for him, one of the hardest things for him was when he, uh, oh good, when he started to accept money from people and you have to take people's help, it's, it's humbling. But my God, it's great to have friends, <laughs> you know. <coughs> We good? All right. 
Here we go. Thank you, Levi. Way to go, man. Way to go. All right. So, yeah, I'm Bill Hightower. I've told you a little bit about that. Um, I am an Alabama state senator, and it's been a wonderful experience doing that. Here I am on the, the Senate floor talking about our waterway system in Alabama. And uh, before that, I just want to tell you a little bit about me. I loved hunting when I was a kid, spent a lot of time out in the woods. Um, I also took my wife to my prom date. She was my prom date in high school. I later married her. <laughs> um, and there we are having a little fun. Susan and I have been married 38 years. I love her more now than I ever did. Um, we, I took that bride of mine to Nashville. Then we uh, went to Vanderbilt University. I got a master's and went to St. Louis, worked for Emerson Electric, went to uh, Tennessee, Jackson, Tennessee, worked for Emerson Electric there, went back to St. Louis. Uh, we moved a lot. We lived in Paris for a time. Uh, we moved to Detroit, and, uh, and then we moved to Pittsburgh. I took that lady all over the place, including Brussels. I had heard Paul Petrie when I was 18. I heard him on a cassette tape. And I remember saying, that's so remarkable what he's saying. I want to meet that guy one day. Well, it took me till I was 30 <laughs> to finally do so. When we lived in Paris, I looked him up and he was so gracious to receive us. This was the sign that was always going on in my head, we're moving. I almost got sick when we stopped moving, you know what I mean? Um, and we wound up in Mobile, Alabama. And a uh, couple of little personal incidentals. I like cars. I like motorcycles. Like Dow Robinson said, God takes pleasure in a well-built Mazda. <laughs> I play trumpet as well on the side. And this beautiful bride of mine has gone with me everywhere. And she's given me one of the dreams of my life. These munchkins. My kids. Who grew into these big kids who are just as fun when they were big as they were when they were little. One of them's here right now. And that's, I've got two other grandkids now. That was a fun, fun time. I want to talk to you about faith, hope, and love. In a prophetic community like ours, these are bywords. We're supposed to be known for this. Love is the most important one. But hope, it's the rarest. And it defines who we are, these qualities. If you've been walking in the church for a long, long time, you probably think everybody has these. They don't. And you quickly see that they don't. And if, if um, this, this if, 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 if for faith, the symbol of faith is the cross, then the symbol of hope is the anchor. I'm a sailor, and uh, on a boat with my family, we watched the fireworks on 4th of July from Destin Harbor, from the bay there, and we anchored, and I said, why don't we just stay the night? But I didn't think it through, because we were on a ca canal. So at 6 a.m. in the morning, I heard this rushing water coming by the, the, the hull, and we were in danger, because if that anchor would have let go, the tide would have pushed us into the pilings of the bridge. Funny thing about an anchor, yeah, they're heavy, but the more you pull on them, the deeper they get. It's an, an able metaphor for us in our spiritual walk. 
But this is what I know is that because we're people of faith and we have this relationship with God, we have answers. God will give us answers that other people won't have. I think God can give us economic answers. He can give us answers to our prison system. I think he can give answers to our problems in family life. I don't want to just relegate God to an emotional thing where all we do is treat the emotions. He has the answers for everything. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Please tell me. I want to be, uh, I want to be heard. And I don't mean, when I talk about hope, I don't just mean wishful thinking. That's like, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. It's much, much more than that. Man's very limited and he's fallible. People are getting hurt by other people. It happens to us, doesn't it? Jesus didn't even put his trust in other people because he knew what was in men. So as disciples, we have to have hope. It comes with our knowledge and relationship with God. The world has hope, but it gets extinguished pretty quick. We have hope in something much further. And I think as you walk in your Christian walk, your view of how you look up and see, it's less of the circumstances and more of Him. All of life seems to put us that way. But when we believe in the goodness of God and embrace Jesus, we have reason for hope. I find that when I read the scripture and when I fellowship, I get hope. When I pray into the Spirit, I get hope. The rest of the world is becoming more and more cynical. The love of many will grow cold. That's going to be an increasing fact. I think there's reprieves sometimes. But we are in store for, you know, history is it's taking us on a cataclysmic path. And one day, Jesus is going to come back. And that's going to change everything. But in this world that's got so much coldness, you're so important. Because we have to continue in love, hope, and faith. We are the salt of the earth. It's not because you pound your desk and say, we want Republican principles. It's because you're salt, you change the atmosphere around you. And the purpose of the salt is not to complain about the soup, right? It's to enhance the soup. So this is a job we have. And in doing this, we're going to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. So we live in a world that's given more and more to violence, more and more broken relationships. We've got to be able to hear the master. We've got to know him, we've got to hear him. It's even more critical, right? When you're on your battlefield and things get tense, we've got to be able to hear this God that we try to serve. And it's not enough just to hear. I used to always say, God, show me what you want me to do. But I came to find out that when he showed me, I didn't do it. So now I've got a graduated prayer. Show me and help me to do it. Because we know about the, the young man who, who his dad said to go do this. And he said, sure, but he didn't go do it. And then the other brother who said no, but later went. And that latter one was in the better place. I want to be obedient. You've got to be obedient to show you love him. It's like a long obedience in the same direction. I love this book and the title of it. It's a long obedience in the same direction. I'm going to have a lot of quotes and a lot of things for you to read. Just uh, bear with me. But it's in this obedience that we're transformed. 
We have a world and worship songs that talk about God's love, God's love, loves, and I don't doubt any of it. But we're called to be obedient. And in that obedience, we are transformed, we're rerouted, and we're changed. You get changed by being obedient. Yes, I've had the Holy Spirit come on me and change the way I've wired here and there, but for the most part, it's being obedient. And in that, we show that we love Jesus. Coldplay, the group, has a great song, I Will Fix You. I need to be fixed. You know, I tell the Lord even now, God, fix me. Because I see what is in me. You know, we all have the law of sin in our life. We all do. We all do. There's only two people that lived on the earth that didn't have the law of sin. One, of course, is Jesus. That's the easy one. The other was Adam before he ate the apple. Then everything changed. Changed for us too, didn't it? This law of sin. It's really changed a lot. And it came into him and it operates in us and it's awful, but it is a fact. Now, a lot of times we give the devil a lot of credit for stuff that he shouldn't get credit for. And uh, it's just plain and simple that we have it in us. The devil doesn't always make you do stuff. You do the stuff. And I think I hear Jesus talking a lot more, less about the devil and more about changing us. And that's been my focus so much as I move forward in this assignment that I've just completed. Satan and sin has the purpose of dishonoring God and destroying your soul. That's the goal. In John Owen's famous book, In the Mortification of Sin, he says... Your enemy is not only upon you, but he's also in you. And it's, it's the law of sin that's operating in you. And so how do we get a good understanding of the way things are? We need to know this book. We need to know it in and out. We need to know it so well. Now, I have a friend, and she wants to be a Shinto priest. And she went to the priest. She says, what must I do to be a Shinto priest? He said, you need to go and read our, our book, the Kajoki, 50 times. And she did. Then she went back to him and said, I did what you said. What do I do next? He said, go back and read it 100 times. At this, she said, why on earth do you want me to do that? He said, I want you to know this book so incredibly well that you look at all of life through the lens of this book. When I heard that, I said to myself, have I read the Bible 50 times? Now, I know there's more than just the Bible. There's leading of the Holy Spirit. But we, this is how we come to know him in so much, so many ways. In Tim Keller's book, when he talks about prayer, when we approach God in prayer, we come to know who he is through his, the books that he's given us to read about him. So the law of sin is mortified by our, our obedience, which includes a surrender to the Holy Spirit. We must be baptized in Holy Spirit. You know, there were two Baptists in the Gospels. One was John the Baptist. He baptized with repentance and water. You know who the second one was? His cousin, Jesus. 
He baptized in Holy Spirit, according to John. And everyone was waiting for the Holy Spirit. And it is marvelous to walk with him. So let me shift a little bit. One of the foundational pillars of our theology is the goodness of God. You agree? Just think about it. It's just under, it's everything. It undermines, it, it not undermines, it's a foundational element. A lot of people say, God has never failed me yet. And that's true. I believe that. But it presupp- that statement says that um, because he hadn't failed me in the past, he's not going to fail me in the future. And I believe that's true. But I think there's a higher level. <laughs> Other people say, God don't make no trash. And when they're trying to kind of build themselves up. But the truth is, is that he's always right. I, I want to, I hope I can encapsulate this with good wor- the words I need. God is always right. There is not a law above God. All law is under God. Whatever he does, it may not make sense, but it's right. He's never wrong. He's never made a mistake. That changes the whole thing about what we say about God. He'll never, he hadn't failed me, he never failed me yet. He can't ever fail you. And he knows everything about you. So you really, it's an incredible place to be with a God that sees all the way through you. So whatever he does is right and perfect. And whenever we try to measure him up with our measuring stick, it always comes up short. He's just fantastic, this God we have. A lot of people want to transpose what they think on God. But he's so large. He's so wonderful. He's so big. He's so mighty. We can't, our minds can't get a grip on that. But it's critical that we understand who he is. I think Simon Gillibot is a good friend of Brian Gimedy's. He gave me this book and I love this book that this quote came from. That we quit creating God in our own image. And if you could figure out what people conceive of God to be like, you could predict or you could see the trajectory of their life. That's why I want to know who God is. The God of the universe and the Holy Spirit. And in this time of increasing cynicism and hate, man, it's gotten brutal. We've got to be here as salt and hope. So, the question I want to pose is, and hopefully answer is, how do we hear God? I just uh, completed a run for governor. It was really interesting. It grew me. It stretched me. It challenged me. I had to speak. I had to listen to crazy people. Um, I'm a current senator right now. And I won. And I won really big. It was a miracle. And then I ran for governor and I lost really bad. And yet I know that I did what God wanted me to do. How about that? Could it possibly be? God showed up both times. <laughs> he did. How about that? It cost him a year of my life. A lot of bad things were said about me. I lost the primary. I worked as hard as I ever could. Listen, I said, listen to crazy people. It's like being a pastor. You know what? People don't, 
Here's a secret. People don't want to know what you think as a politician. They want to tell you what they think. And so you got to be a good listener and be very gracious. You get criticized. Somebody said, I didn't want the Ten Commandments. I didn't like the Ten Commandments. Um, it was just a lot of different things. But I did not and will not say I miss God. Frankly, I hate that statement. Because if you're missing God, how do you know you're, if you miss God, how do you know you're not missing him right now? I just get that phrase out. There's some things I don't say. I don't say I miss God. I don't. It's a waste. I believe that if you're searching for God's will and his purpose, that you're in his will and purpose. This man, Dow Robinson, affected all of us. And he said that to me one day and I went, whoa, I got to get my mind around that. <laughs> That's a tough one. Now, it's not to say that I didn't listen and pray and seek advice from people when I was thinking about running. But let me share with you something that really helped me greatly when I did decide. Um, as I do, let me tell you that I lost the race, but failure is not an event. It's a judgment about an event. Think of that in your own life. It's how you judge it. How, you, how do you see these things, huh? This is considered a great failure. I love the quote. I believe the architectural theory behind this is I'm going to take a huge dump on your historical neighborhood. <laughs> Frank Geary, the worst architect. But that's a judgment about an event. So in the midst, how do you decide what to do? I, wanna, I found George Mueller just terrific in helping me to decide whether I was to run. And it's a big decision, folks. Because you, you go through a lot, you have to raise a lot of money. 90% of the time, you're asking people for money. It's great when you go up to somebody and they give you a $50,000 check. You, in, in, but it's bad when you go up to somebody and they say, well, I'll give you a check if you do this. No thanks. But George Mueller had this. Here's some points. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into a, such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the troubled people is here. <clears throat> I, I got to tell you, God has to do that in you. I, I think by our willpower, we can try to do it, but it's a gift to come to a place that the outcome doesn't matter. So I like the open hands concept. Hold things loosely. David let go of his kingdom to his son. King David did. He held it loosely. A king, he did. So I was a strong state senator. I didn't have a strong conviction that I wanted to stay in the state senate. I had made some great progress. I did some terrific changes. I never really wanted to be governor. In fact, I asked God, God, if you want me to do this, would you please increase my desire? <laughs> I'd walk around the Capitol at night praying over the Capitol. I'd also go into the, the Senate chamber and play my trumpet at night and worship the Lord and walk around the chamber. I was very act, active in my faith there. But um, one thing about being the governor, I thought, my gosh, I don't, those governors have their stuff together. Now, Alabama's never had a Matt Bevan. Um, you know, they just really seemed to me to be untouchable. And when I got close to them, I realized it was far from the truth. It really was. So <laughs> having done this, 
I don't leave the result of feeling or impression. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. This is another one of Mueller's. So what did I do? I counseled with close friends, people that I knew that loved me, that could tell me, Bill, you're out of line. I also counseled people that didn't know the Lord, and I listened for God's voice in their words. God can use anybody he wants. I examined my heart to make sure that I wasn't doing it out of pride because, man, politics really can feed that stuff. Because people are say, oh, you're great. You're amazing. We really needed you there. Go on and on and on. Then, I seek the will of the Spirit of God in tandem with the Word of God. And the Spirit and the Word must be combined. And if I look to the Spirit without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusion. And if the Holy Spirit guides us at all, He will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. I became immersed in Scripture, reading it, trying to understand it. Let it be a part of me. I drew close to God. I looked for His direction. And I always examined my disposition, always trying to, am I doing this for the right reason, Lord? I want to have the right attitude as I approach this, your next assignment. Mueller then said, next I take into account providential circumstances. And these often plainly indicate God's will. So, the competitive field was wide open. There was no leader when I got in the race. I was encouraged because in the first four days after announcing, I raised $500,000. I asked my political people, is that good? They said, we've never seen it before. I found favor around the state, people said, we're so glad a business person's going to run. I was a sitting senator, and I'd fought for things like tax reform and, and life, pro-life issues. And, and uh, so I was fairly well-known throughout the state, which is part of the thing you have to think about. I was in a ministry that goes throughout the state, so I had a good footprint throughout the state called Outback America. And favor seemed to be with me. I even had a consultant who was Mike Pence's consultant for governor, who was um, uh, a number of people who we would all admire. And I thought, this is incredible. And then I asked God in prayer to reveal his will to me. I was always looking for his will. I was always ready to stop it if I had to. But in the midst of all this, uh, as I was thinking about, this is probably the most profound quote that I ever have received. And I've got a book of quotes from this man. The responsibility of the future doesn't rest on your capacity to comprehend, hear, or your intuition. It rests on the Father's determination and ability to reveal. You don't need to struggle to finalize the decision. Just keep your eyes and heart fixed with anticipation. At some point in the manner of his choosing, which may even be your own inclination, he will confirm what he desires for you to do. And once that inner amen sounds, it'll all be clear. I rested on that. Thank you, Paul. In so many different ways. So at George Mueller's final step is that through prayer to God, the study of the word and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge. And if my mind is thus at peace and continues so after two to three more petitions, I proceed accordingly. (laughs) isn't that great you see God's already at work 
We, in our me society, we want, what do we do? What do I do? What do, what do you want me to do, God? He's already at work. He's doing, he's always working. People say, oh, God's really working. He's moving. Yeah, he is. He's manifesting himself in that way, but he's always at work. The invitation is that you come join him in that work. He speaks to you through the Holy Spirit, Bible, prayer, circumstances, the church, your brothers. I don't want to be without my brothers. To reveal his purposes and ways. And then he speaks to you to do something. And usually if it's overwhelming and bigger than you could have imagined, it's probably God. Dow Robinson, when I was thinking about taking two jobs, one at General Electric, working in a group where everybody had been divorced, and another job, I said, Dow, I'm really intimidated by this, group, this job at GE. He said, the Lord will protect you. And I said, but it's going to be hard. He said, when I've ever had two choices but making a decision, Bill, I've always chosen the more difficult. Dow just kind of break, he breaks the, the connection sometimes, doesn't he? And you spend weeks thinking about it. So your role in this is to adjust yourself to what you feel God's calling you to do. And by adjusting yourself, you encounter God, you get to know him in a whole new way, and you have an increased revelation of who he is. That's how it works. And it really kind of happens over and over again on micro levels and macro levels as well. Let me say it like this. <clears throat> it's like this story. Um, Richard was having a birthday. And his dad found a blue bicycle. And this bicycle, um, the son really didn't know that he wanted a bicycle. So the father, and they didn't have a lot of resources, so the father and the mother spent weeks trying to convince the boy that he wanted a blue bicycle. A few weeks later, the bicycle was hid in the garage. A few weeks later, um, the boy came to the conclusion, you know, I really would like a blue bicycle. And you know what he got for his birthday? A blue bicycle. Here's the thing. The bicycle was already in the garage. The Holy Spirit knows what's in the garage. His work often is trying to get you to want what he wants. And sometimes it's not a pleasant <laughs> journey. Sometimes it's like, you know, rubbing oil into a thick hide and you're trying to soften it. But when you ask for what God has already intended you to have, you know what you're going to get, what God wants. When we say pray in the name of Jesus, or pray into the, what the Lord wants, that's what we're saying in the name of Jesus, praying into what the Lord wants for us. And as Paul mentioned earlier, it often looks very, very different than what we think. This encountering of him is so important. Let me tell you another story. This one is about a potter, a prophet, who was told to go down and look at the potter. The potter was making a, a, a jar, and he was trying to make a beautiful jar. But the, pot, the clay would not yield, so he made a much lesser vessel. I don't know if that puts the fear of God in you or not. It does me. I don't want to resist the molding of God in my life. And you know what? You can. Israel did it over and over again. Hey, I've done it over and over again. But I don't want the, 
I don't want to be that thing. I want to be a beautiful instrument for God. Well, from this I ran, and I didn't dwell on the outcome, which is another great thing. I dwelt on obedience, thanks to the brothers that were around me. Being obedient. I felt like I had such a leg up against the other candidate. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to win. But I was focused more on obedience and having the proper disposition as I went through the assignment. It was good advice because it takes the whole issue off of you, your reputation, your outcome, your income. And after my loss, people would say things like, well, everything happens for a reason, and I hate that saying too. <laughs> yes, I know everything happens for a reason. The question is whether it's a good reason or a bad reason. Um, Look, it's a bastardization of our scripture, right? All things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, if I read that right, if you don't love God, it doesn't work out for the good of you. <laughs> I really hate that one. But regardless of those who are, who are around us, we must maintain this disposition of trust and confidence in God. It really pleases him. I want to please the Lord. When my son trusts in me, it pleases me. God's no different. There was a time when we had mother's milk, but we need to eat meat now, guys. It's time to grow up and have the proper disposition as sons of God. Well, was the race messy? You bet. It was awful. Uh, but if life were, if it, it would be intolerable if everything was in order. Isn't that funny? There are two extremes. One is where everything's in place and in order. That's death. And then there's chaos at the other end. Where uncertainty thrives and anxiety. Both, you can't live in, all, in, in both of those. This, our brain has evolved to where order's on the left and chaos is on the right. And it's in between those two extremes where we find meaning and purpose. And I felt like I was in chaos. Running a campaign is like a startup of a business. In this, having meaning in the middle of this, these two extremes, it's a, it's a very real thing. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. Whenever, and, and if you think order is wonderful, I, I find that once I get everything in order, I'm extremely dissatisfied because I want to go do something with it. And create something, you know. I, get, I work on old motorcycles and I, I get all my tools out and they're all over the place. And then I put them all up and then I, I just have to mess it up again. Get them out and do more work on the bike. You want your life to be presented with a problem. And you want that problem to unpack you. And then put you back together again where you've learned something new. That's an upward spiral of human development. Out of uh, Jim Collins' book, How the Mighty Fall, it's a great book, our research shows that if you've been practicing the principles of greatness all the way along, you should get down on your knees and pray for severe turbulence. For that's when you can pull it ahead of those who lack your relentless intensity. Faith is not the absence of uncertainty. It's embracing it. 
people have this mistaken notion that faith would eliminate uncertainty. No, it doesn't. You really grab hold of it and you pull it into your chest. And then unless there's some element of risk in your exploit, <clears throat> there's really no need for faith. Said by Hudson Taylor. Another one you would want to look up. So what keeps us venturing out? Fear keeps us from venturing out. We want everybody to know that we're successful. We got our stuff together. And it leads us to superficial relationships. And you've seen this. Where you just don't go deep with anybody. Because you want them to think you got your stuff together. And the problem with that is that it impairs your ability to perform. It, it, it stifles your ability to move forward. And those kind of people never reach their full potential. Never. Um, so there was a study done on people 95 years old and older. And they asked them if you could change one thing in the way you did life, what would it be? And you've heard this, take more risks. <laughs> That's the opposite of order. Because when you take a risk, it gets very, very messy at times. Steve Jobs knew about this when he had cancer and was speaking at Stanford University. He knew that he had an end of his days. And it changed his whole perspective. Oswald Chambers talks about physical courage, moral courage. But if you trust in Jesus, boy, you can overcome so much. And what do you have to lose? I, I really like the idea that if you see God who he is versus your own perspective of who he is, at the end of the messy day of blood and guts and you get it all over you, at the end of the life we're all going to get a nice clean new shirt. So God puts us in these situations for what time, what reason? Well, the way you reveal to a fish what water is, is you take him out of the water. ruh row. You can see when he's pulled out, he's never been out before. And we get pulled out of our environment over and over again. And we've got to have this right perspective. I've always felt like in my career, when I go into a messy business situation, it's my greatest opportunity to shine. Chuck Knight, the CEO of my company, his idea of management training was to find a high-capacity individual who had a lot of promise and throw them into an impossible situation and see if they came out alive. I feel like I've been in that training program a few times. I know a lot of us have. But we have to take these risks. And God wants you to get where God wants you more than you want to get where God wants you. That's the powerful thing. But in this process of being obedient, you're molded. He wants to make you like a son, not a baby. You know, there's a time when you sat in your dad's lap, but then you grew up and you had to leave it. Bilheimer wrote this about God's interest in making us like the son in character, privilege, and power. And folks, if we're not there, the world's going to sink. We're holding our, what's in us is holding back the tide of evil. And we have, 
you know, God's in business. I, I just see him all over business, and business people go everywhere. And if you have that Holy Spirit in you, you can go everywhere and take him everywhere. So we have to have that moral and spiritual light in our community. The problem is not the darkness. The problem is the absence of light. And you're supposed to be the light. We're called to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Thermometer just reads that temperature, but a thermostat, you can actually change things. And the culture wants you to conform in a way that will castrate you. Don't do that. Draw close to God. I believe one of our jobs is to create this environment around us, physically, audibly, spiritually, in every way. But you can't do it without hope. And you can't have true hope without the Holy Spirit. It's messy, yes, but that's part of the plan. We read the New Testament and we think it was all ordered and linear. <laughs> Not for the folks that were living it. And you can't be a thermostat if you don't trust God moving forward. Look, the scariest person on the earth is someone who doesn't have anything to lose. And you can be that person. Your trust in God will create waves that eliminate from you and change the whole environment around you. I've seen it happen, folks. So you have him in you. I hope this has made some sense. We've talked about the need for hope. But we need to be changed. In order to be changed, we need the Holy Spirit. We have to be obedient to the Lord. And in that obedience, we're changed. And we change other people. And we change the world. Thank you.